Hey everybody, welcome back to the Two Stewards Show. On this episode, Mark and I talk about the properties of sound money. It's the first uh, episode in a little mini-series here on defining money and uh, explaining a little bit about what makes for good money. And uh, we ramble on all over the place in this episode. Hopefully you can follow along. Um, So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Two Stewards Show. I'm Mark, and I'm here with Brent. Hello, everybody. And we're going to talk about sound money today. So, Brent, we've been talking a lot about inflation and money, how it relates to uh, real estate a little bit. And I've heard this concept of sound money, air quotes, if you can't see me. Um, Like, what is sound money? What is the whole concept of sound money? I think we've kind of established that. Our current monetary system isn't great, and maybe you could even say it's not sound, but uh, what do you make of this sound money thing? Yeah, this is going to be a fun episode, and hopefully uh, we don't ramble on too much in different directions, but there's a lot of a lot of things to cover here. It's a deep topic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it sounds kind of, um, I guess, superficial to talk about money, and but I think there's uh, a real value uh, in talking about money because uh, it really does... Uh, undergird a lot of things that happen in our modern world um, in the economy obviously but in society I mean like money is a huge part of our lives right and we spend a lot of our time a lot of our waking hours actually trying to get it so mm-hmm. it's good that you asked the question thank you thank you so much <laughs> what is sound money um, well compared to unsound money I mm-hmm. think we should ask the question what is money and um, I make that comment just because um, I think we, we live in a world where we don't have sound money and people don't really know that. Um, maybe they're kind of a little bit aware. Um, you know, obviously, we, we talked about inflation and the value of money going to zero. Um, but do we actually have money right now? And is the currency that is in your bank account or in your wallet, is that actually money? Um, cause we use money and currency kind of interchangeably, right? Like mm-hmm. I just got paid some money for this and that's really, when you get down to the definition of money, like it's not really what money is. And so I think we, we want to cover some of the, like the best way to look at this, um, question I think is to just identify what are the characteristics or properties that make for, um, good money, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll just jump into this. Um, we have a problem and that problem is, um, the problem of how to communicate value between people. So, um, if you imagine like a really small civilization and only a small number of people that are really well connected to Mm -hmm. each other, you can solve that problem pretty easily through direct exchange through barter yeah and that if you look through history is definitely um what usually happens right you have a small family or group of families together in a village or um whatever smaller and smaller um, civilizations and you can actually make an economy a local economy based on trading goods of value so i have something that is of some value and i want something that you have we do a direct exchange and now I have what I needed from you and you have what uh, you needed from me. But that's a huge uh, effort to try and manage and keep track of what's going on. And there's a lot of problems with 
direct exchange um, as a way of transferring value from one person to another. And the biggest problem I think is that it's not scalable, right? Like we can't make uh, an international or a global economy running off of something where we're trying to exchange value using goods that you know are not consistent. And um, <clears throat> so you run into what's called um, the lack of coincidence of wants. I'm just going to ramble. Well, these are some big words there, Brent. (laughs) Yeah, hit me with uh, anything you need to clarify. (laughs) Um, Coincidence of wants. Okay, well, wants is a pretty... Like, if you want something and I want something, but we don't have the same wants, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lack of coincidence of wants. Um, um, Let me explain. So maybe you want, um, you know, uh, something from me. Uh, let's use the example. Um, I'm farming. I'm producing wheat. And what do you do? Maybe you build houses. So okay, sure. Yeah, you look like a house builder. Right. Um, <clears throat> so you build a house, and obviously um, you need to eat. So you want some of my wheat. Well, what can you give me? Well, you can give me a house, but how much uh, you know wheat can I trade you for your house? Like it just. You can obviously see the problem right away. Uh-huh. There's a lack of coincidence of wants because there's a scale issue, right? Like I have all these kernels of wheat. You can only consume so many of them. So you don't want to have storehouses of wheat equal or equivalent to the value of your house sitting around because it's going to go bad. It's going to deteriorate and decay yeah. and rot. Um, and then that is uh, also leading to the lack of uh, coincidence of wants in terms of time, right? Because you don't want to eat all the wheat at once and i might yeah you might but (laughs) 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 um so anyways you could see kind of the problems that come out of that kind of economic system right one where we're relying on direct exchange we're bartering with each other Mm -hmm. but that is essentially what money seeks to solve right that's the problem where where we need a medium of exchange to go between us now um, and that's one of the definitions of money, like um, that money is a medium of exchange because now I use a, a secondary good, something else other than what uh, you want or I want just mm-hmm. to um, go between us to communicate the value. Right. So if I have the wheat and you have the house, maybe I can take, you know, a couple bushels of wheat and convert it to a, a different good like uh, money. Yep. And. I can give you that money and you can take it and it's equivalent to an even smaller fraction of what you own, which is the house. And we can, we can interact. And now you can all of a sudden scale your uh, economic system a lot more, right? Well, and you can't, um, like one of the, I mean, the main way that wealth is created is, uh, is through trade. And you can't really, you know, if you're doing a barter system, you can't really specialize Right, so you're talking about yeah, okay, I could be a, a home builder, but the home in, in a barter system, the type of home I could build you would be very limited. Oh yeah, it's probably going to be like mud and sticks, right? Because, because I don't through collecting the mud, you got to go make food for yourself. Yeah, that too. But I also don't have access, right? Because if we're living no in bricks. a particular area, yeah, we're limited to kind of what's around. Yeah, right. So if you can happen to grow wheat then like that's perfect but there's probably not like bananas being grown or 
you know, cucumbers or certain other things being grown in that area. And then by the same token, you know, I can maybe get mud, make bricks and stuff, but I would not have access to more advanced things like different kinds of siding, insulation, plumbing, <laughs> all these things. Today, right? Yeah, like what we have today. Engineered the only reason, products were, yeah, engineered yeah. products. The only reason we have that is because of specialization. And that's one of the things I think that money solves. So now you could have somebody far away who makes insulation yeah. of some kind. And I, you know, yeah, I, I could, I guess, go bring him wheat. But if he doesn't want wheat, if he wants cucumbers or something, then um, then how am I supposed to yeah. trade with him? So that's like, like you mentioned the, the scalability, right? There's scalability and specialization. You just can't, you're very limited to what you can do. Even if I want to trade with another tribe or something, we have to agree on what holds value. And, you know, wheat does, but maybe they don't like wheat. yeah so that kind of paints a good picture of what the problems are with barter and direct exchange now money is uh the solution because it's a medium of exchange and now Mm -hmm. that's called uh i guess if if barter is direct exchange where it's direct between us uh introducing money now it's indirect exchange so we're no longer trading what I have for what you have, we're trading it first for something else. And then indirectly I'm trading with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, like you said, lends itself to the specialization and division of labor where, um, you know, I can work and I can denominate my work and the products of my labor in something else that everyone else also does the same. And they denominate their labor in uh, this good as well. And now we can use that good for trade. And that, um, that becomes this medium of exchange that goes between everybody, right? <clears throat> and yeah. now an economy can grow and flourish. Yeah, because now you, you can have like you can have a miller. So instead of you just growing wheat and then like making some rudimentary kind of paste or something with it, now you can have somebody who actually has a mill who has specialized equipment and his only job is to grind up wheat. It's all he does yeah. all day, right? Whereas yeah. if it was just like you and me and a few other people, we don't have time to do that because we're like busy yeah. trying to grow the wheat and, and do all this stuff. So, yeah. So we can money. get into the capital accumulation too because <laughs> that mill that he has yep. is actually the accumulation of capital that like he had to spend time making something that wasn't going to be consumed. Anyways, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> 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 oh, so, so the we, we talked about this medium of exchange, right? And now yep. we're using this good... So we've moved past barter where we're exchanging things between us and we're now um, we have money. And um, that good that we call money has to be uh, saleable, right? Like we have the, the, the biggest benefit of it is that we can get rid of it when we want to. Yeah. Right? What, what do you mean by saleable? So like I could sell it whenever I wanted to, right? Like okay. it's liquid. I can get um, and the best money obviously is one that I can sell um, for anything that I need, right? So mm-hmm. like everybody wants to buy this thing um, and I can go anywhere in the world and it's universally recognized as such. And I can um, sell it uh, in smaller quantities or larger quantities. And um, there's a good list that I just have here. So saleability across um, scales, space and time. And that kind of highlights um, like a, a good framework for uh, identifying the characteristics that make for money. 
Yeah. Right. Because if money is a, is a medium of exchange that we use to uh, go between us to exchange value, then we want that medium of exchange to do certain things. We want it to retain its value over time, right? We don't want it to lose value because if I'm producing wheat and I spend all year producing wheat and I get a crop and I get my money and then next year it's not worth what I, what I work like, you know, what's the yep. point of me actually holding this money, right? I'm mm-hmm. going to go find something else that does hold its value. And, um, the other thing is, uh, portability, right? So you obviously want something that once you get it, um, you can bring it anywhere. Right. And, um, it has a certain amount of value density to it. Right. And okay. this is, I don't know if this is too intense, but I don't know. I'm pretty dense. <laughs> Gideon's nodding his head over there saying, guys, you're going over my head. <laughs> Dumb it down a little, well, Einstein. Yeah, sorry. Um, value density just means that um, like the unit that you hold in your wallet or your pocket um, can buy you a lot of goods with it, right? Like I can, uh, it's the difference between like a $100 bill and a dime, right? Like, or what are the, what's the smallest one in Canada now, a nickel? Yeah. You don't do pennies? Yeah. Oh, so you see a penny and a hundred dollar bill, like they're about the same weight, maybe they're, yep. but you know, and they can fit in the same area, but the one is more dense, like in terms of the value it can you purchase. Right. And that's a bad example. Cause it's really not money. It's like a currency. But, yeah. But you get to put, it, it's yeah. like having, um, like a cow. Yeah. A cow is worth X amount. So it's not super dense. And if you want 10 times the amount of the value of a cow, yeah. you need to have 10 cows. Yeah. So now try to carry like 10 cows around, uh, around yeah. and buy so, stuff. So can you find a good that has more value density? Um, and that, that I'm just talking about this because that's about, uh, that, that describes the portability yeah. or the saleability of money across space, right? So you can bring it anywhere and you can show up in a different area of the world or a different place, or you can go to the mall and you have uh, a purchasing power in your pocket that you can carry around with you. Right. Um, And then the other thing is scales. And we kind of touched on that. Just the fact that you can divide it into smaller or larger increments to be able to make bigger purchases or smaller purchases. Right. Like you don't want to have money that when you want to go buy your coffee in the morning, you need like, a big thing and then when you want to buy a house you need like wheelbarrows full of it right yeah um so it needs it needs to have a good efficient way of dividing into bigger and smaller pieces for um, various transactions right because the idea at the end of the day is that money is really just how we communicate value between us um so yeah does that answer your question <laughs> yeah a little bit um there's there's a lot in there and we can touch on a lot of different things. Yeah, well, I think there, there's one more, um, I don't know if you, you touched on it, but one more uh, aspect of the saleability, right? And saleability across time. I don't know if you mentioned that. I don't think you did. Yeah, well, I did a little bit about, um, uh, yeah, okay, so let's talk about that. So, um, obviously, a very important thing when you're looking at um, the medium of exchange that you're going to be using to store your value or your time, mm-hmm. whatever um, time you spend at work, you're going to earn some money, right? Whatever you choose to use as that money, that store of value, um, you want it to endure, 
And so it has to be durable yep. in a certain sense, but it also has to maintain its value. And how does something maintain its value? Well, usually that comes down to the scarcity of it, right? Because if yeah. I can just produce that thing that you're holding as a store of your value, right? Now I'm devaluing what you're holding as a store of value, right? Um, and that... Um, that's called the stock to flow ratio. And I don't know if you whoa, know whoa about that. there, genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to describe the stock to flow ratio to people? Um, nope, I'd rather criticize you for attempting okay. it. So, um, so if you have uh, a certain amount of a good, right? Yep. And um, you, pr and, uh, um, let's just use gold as an example here. Yeah. Because gold has, yeah, gold has ultimately been chosen as money throughout history, right? It has kind of been the thing that people land on saying like, yeah. oh, um, this actually doesn't rot. It doesn't decay. Like, you know, um, it doesn't devalue very quickly because it can't, it's very hard to produce. Um, and I can divide it into smaller pieces. So it's like, it's, it's a pretty good money, right? Um, and especially when you compare it to other things that are, um, that do decay or that, um, aren't as value dense, right? Yeah. Um, and then the key feature there being that it's hard to produce, right? So gold is, uh, a certain rarity in the earth's crust. It takes a certain amount of effort and skill and time and labor to actually extract it mm -hmm. and to refine it and get it. And, um, and so by virtue of that, um, uh, the amount of new gold that is produced every year uh, is a fr is a very small fraction of the existing stockpile that we have. It's like two percent or something, right? Yeah, I don't know the exact number. I think it's around there. Yeah, so two percent every year they make two percent more gold. Yep, and that's pretty reliable. Yep, yeah, it's been that for quite a quite a number of years. Like a thousand years. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I more like a hundred years, but <laughs> as long as they've been tracking it, it's, uh, so, so if that's the case, um, compared that to other things that you could store your value in, right? Like if you're, um, if you're trying to store value in, uh, nickel or copper, yeah. right. And you might like them cause they're shiny and they're great. And you know, Hey, I can, trade some nickel for some stuff and yep. people seem to want it. Yeah. But over time, like what is the cost of producing more nickel? And so if everybody starts valuing nickel, um, they could just produce a lot more of it relatively speaking to gold. Right. Yeah. Like, and the cost of production is lower and the, uh, maybe it's more plentiful. So gold has kind of been the element that is the most, um, scarce. Yeah. Right. For lack of a better word. So it makes for a great store of value when you're trying to communicate value, um, right. Between people, you're trying to store up value first and then maybe you're communicating smaller portions of it. Right. So if I work all year and I'm trying to save up to buy a house, I don't just, um, like I, I need to save all that labor in something that holds its value. And then eventually in five years, I'll have enough to be able to communicate that to someone else and say, look, I've, I've worked for this. Here's my value. I want to give it to you and get something for it. So, 
um, those are kind of the, the properties that make for good money. And then um, I think you can kind of step back. Maybe it's a little bit confusing, but and compare these properties to our current money today. Right. Yeah. So like these, these are a little bit, um, it's a little bit abstract. Yeah. Right. Especially. And I did uh, that for a reason to train. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, like I always like stories as good or examples. Right. So I'm just, you're, you're talking and I'm thinking about, uh, some examples. So you have like, um, when we talk about scarcity in particular, um, where money has been corrupted or ruined. So we think of like, uh, I think it was the Cook Islands where they use stones, a particular kind of stone. And this yeah. is uh, in, in Seyfedean's book, The Bitcoin Standard, where he talks about... Um, the island of Yop. Yop, yes, that's right. Yeah. Where basically these islanders had existed for many years, um, mining uh, a particular... Oh, we lost our video there. I'm going to keep talking anyways. Um, uh, mining a particular stone from an uh, island that was like far away. So it was it was hard to get. It was scarce. And the bigger the stone. to yeah, extract these. Yeah. And the bigger the stone, the more valuable. So obviously there's a few issues because like these massive stones, not very portable. But it functioned as money in their society. It was a smaller society and they were able to, um, to transact in... A lot of the times there's there's implicit trust where you had this large stone that couldn't be moved. Um, people would just know who owned that. So they wouldn't even need to bring it to their house. It would just be like, you know, this chief owns that stone. And if a transaction happened, now it would be known that this other guy owns that stone. But there's a fella from uh, from the West who came down there, you know, discovered these islands. Well, he yeah, he discovered them. They already existed. But came into the society and figured out, hey... I want resources from these islands and they just want stone from this other island. Okay, I'll go get a whole bunch. So he took his uh, boats over, mined a whole bunch of uh, this particular stone, went back, flooded their economy with this stone and they didn't realize it at first, right? But all of a sudden now it was not scarce anymore. Ruined their economy. Yeah. Another example would be like, the, I think they're called the agri beads in, uh, in West Africa, same thing. Hard to come by, glass beads. They were, they were used by a lot of the tribes in West Africa as a form of money. And uh, same thing, Westerners came in and said, hey, we can produce these beads for cheap. And uh, again, flooded the economy with this uh, money, air quotes, and, uh, and ruined their economy. So money so, can yeah, be the, corrupted. The, uh, the moral of the story there is that the money was not sound. Um, like it was in their little society, yeah. right? Because it functioned for however many years. Um, but when you start globalizing things, you realize like, oh, maybe this isn't the best option to pick. Like we shouldn't be using uh, glass beads or whatever to trade with because they're so plentiful over here. Like yeah. we could just dilute the supply and uh, ruin everyone's lives. And I think another lesson too is that if it is possible, people will corrupt money. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's the sinful nature tendency, especially if, yeah, if somebody has the power to do that, right? If you have uh -huh. a monopoly on violence or like uh, a government, right? Like a king um, or an emperor, and they can control the military or they can control power over people to confiscate money and they can debase it, then yeah, they're they're going to. Yeah, or we've seen it 
Yeah, it's just a human tendency to do, right? Yeah, that, that's another example, right? The Roman Empire, um, for many years, gold and, you know, to a lesser extent, silver and bronze were were the forms of exchange, and that worked very well till they started to debase, physically debase, the coins that were out there. They started putting less gold in them, or they started shaving them down, and, you know, eventually to the point where people didn't want to accept official currency anymore because it was worth less and less and less until it was almost worth less. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, because yeah, gold is a great example of, of money and it's been used for thousands of years as money because of all the properties that it has. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is portable to a degree, not once you get into large amounts, but yeah, for a long time, the world functioned with on a gold standard, Right, yeah. gold was the de facto yeah. currency that everybody could trust. Yeah. And I know you mentioned silver, um, which is brings to mind another example. I'm getting a little bit off track here. Oh, go ahead. But we had a gold standard for a long time, and I just remember. Well, I wasn't around then, but uh, China went on a silver standard. They made a bet that silver would become the reserve currency of the world, and didn't happen price of silver collapsed and that set China up for like a whole bunch of events. But this was like, um, 17, 1800s, right? It set China way back because they had huge amounts of silver, no gold. Everybody went on the gold standard and, uh, just kind of ruined their economy yeah. and set in chain a motion of events that, you know, to where China is today. So I guess, I don't know what the moral of the story is. Pick the right <laughs> well, store to me, value. To me, that you're you're talking, and I'm just thinking like that just speaks to how money is emergent, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it happens, it it comes about. It's not something that you can top down um, and force, right? Like yeah. you, you can, but it never works, and it never happens that way. Like um, you know, uh, we we live today in a fiat world, a fiat money money system which means the money is because I said so, like Latin fiat, you know, is by decree. No, I don't know, Brent. Yeah, well, I'm not fiat a Roman. is Latin for by decree or basically because I said so. This okay. is money because the governing authority says that is money. And um, that's a problem, right? Because um, if we've just identified that money is a way of communicating value mm -hmm. and... Um, now you have that money that um, is naturally emergent where people select the thing that they want to communicate value in. And that's just, that's just what happens. And you have a, a top-down authority saying, no, this is money. Well, now you have a bit of a conflict there, right? Mm -hmm. And it opens up the door to, um, you know, debasement. Because if somebody has control over the money, like we just talked about, they you know, they fall prey to their own evil desires and they want more of it or they want to make more of it than they need to and give it to the people they want to. Um, and in so doing, they um, dilute the value of everyone else's money. Um, and usually those are the people who are working the hardest to actually make things happen in a society. And <laughs> that, Sorry, that reminds me. Um, that That is one good example of, uh, you said, opening the door to debasement, right? Yeah. But that's also something I do when my kids are being really loud. What? I open the door to the basement and I send them down there. <laughs> See, that's because you have the monopoly on violence. 
<laughs> Even the threat of violence coming from you. <laughs> Especially for my kids. They're smaller than me still. Yeah, so they, they choose their own money. I, mean, I don't even know where we're going with this. They, they transact in Lego. <laughs> Dad, your uh, threats are not valid in my world because I live on a Lego standard. Um, so you have a list here in front, like you put it in front of us. So the St. Louis Fed, what is the St. Louis Fed? Yeah, so I found this kind of a little bit funny, um, but yeah. St. Well, you have to explain why it's funny, because what's the Fed? Yeah, so it's kind of like the circus, but in suits. <laughs> is that a good description? Yeah, yeah the highly <laughs> so, educated circus. So the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. So we always talk about the Fed as if it's like this monolithic... Um, uh, entity, but really it's not. It's a it's a group of banks in the states which are not. You know they're they're independent. We'll say that in air quotes as well. Um, like and they are, but they're politically appointed. The governors are politically appointed, right? So they operate in this quasi independent thing. And really, we've seen them just kind of working. The Fed as a, as a unit has worked in lockstep with the federal government. Yeah. But important to remember, like the Federal Reserve Bank is separate from the federal government. Um, yeah. That's the idea anyway. So it's not federal, there's, and there's no reserves. <laughs> yeah. So they, when they established the Fed, they, they would put them in a bunch of cities around the state. So one of them is St. Louis, and uh, they all have their, like, their own websites, and they all have their own sort of take on things. But, but this um, is the Central Bank of the United States, right? Yes. Yeah. So even though they're all independent and separate, they still, yeah, central bank of the states. So the, uh, if Probably you look at... Probably the most important bank in the world or one of the most. Yeah. I mean, next to the, um, to the BIS, Bank of International Settlements, that's sort of the central bank of central banks. Um, yeah. Would be the most important. So uh, stlouisfed.org, they've got a list here, uh, uh, a podcast about money. And they talk about the different um, uh, aspects of money. So I'll just list them quick. And we're not going to go through all of them right now, but we've been talking about it. So durability. Um, and so, you know, as I'm listening to these, think about you've got gold, which we've used for a long time. Now we have, well, we had paper money. We don't really, you know, we still have it, but really it's digital money. Yeah. Right. So these are the different, just think about the different kinds of money and how they you know, fit these, uh, these aspects with so durability, yeah. um, portability. And they're saying these are the, the important things about, uh, money. If you want to have money, this is what it should be like. So durability, portability, divisibility. You have to be able to divide it into smaller units. Like you said, uniformity. So that means, you know, if I have a $20 bill, you have a $20 bill. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas I could have a cow and you could have a cow, but your cow could be nicer. So I might want your cow. And there's an imbalance there, right? It's not uniform. Yeah. Uh, limited supply. So that's scarcity, right? Um, and I'll get back to that one. And then acceptability or recognizability, right? So where like if I give you a $20 bill for something, you, you see that and like that's acceptable to you because, you know, yeah. you can use that anywhere else. And you I don't need change. to put it on a weigh scale and yeah. see if it's, I don't need to do any technical analysis every time I do a transaction. Yeah, Just yeah. And, or if I e-transfer you $20, like you, there's this implicit trust that it's, yeah. it's, it's worth $20. It's not only $18. Yeah. Like when I get e-transfers from Mark, they're actually <laughs> worth a bit more. <laughs> okay. Um, but... 
so the, the part that I find kind of funny is that they're listing limited supply or scarcity as uh, a desirable aspect of money. And the Fed is kind of responsible for how much money is in the economy. I mean, the government can introduce new money into the economy via deficit because obviously that money doesn't exist. So it has to get paid for somehow and they just they're creating new money. But the Fed will do, you know, the quantitative easing or quantitative tightening. We've heard so much about introducing the money into the system. And that's not necessarily into the hands of consumers, but it's still in the system and affects credit and all these yeah, things. Yeah, it's the supply. Um, the su the yeah, overall supply. Overall supply of money. And uh, we have seen the money supply increase drastically, like ridiculously, in the, even over the last 20 years, right? Even over the last two years. And, and I haven't looked this up in a while, but like last year, it was something like 25% of all U.S. dollars in existence were less than a year old. So that means yeah. the money supply went up by 25%. Well, and, and that's the U.S. That's the uh, the world reserve currency, right? Like the for, U.S. For dollar. now, yes. Yeah, for now. Well, <laughs> historically speaking, for the, the last recent period of history, yeah. it's been like, you know, you, you got to have U.S. dollars and everybody, that's what you know, kind of sets up demand for them. Yeah. And yeah, that's, the that's value. a whole other topic again, right? The reserve currency and all that, that sort of thing. But yeah. I just thought it was uh, interesting that they should list scarcity as, um, as one of the important aspects of, uh, of, you know, what makes as we've money. been talking, it's clearly not scarce. No the way. The way that it exists right now. No, not at all. And uh, yeah, I pulled out another quote because uh, I just thought it was interesting to comment. It says, so the nation's banking, this is on the same website, I think, the Federal Reserve. The nation's <laughs> banking system is only as safe and sound as the banks within the system. So the Federal Reserve examines banks regularly to identify and contain bank risks. And I was wondering what the risks were. Like, um, and, and that kind of ties into the scarcity. And because when I think the risk of a bank... I think like a bank is a place where you store money, right? If I have a bunch of extra money kicking around, I put it in a bank and they take care of it for me. They're a custodian of my money, right? <laughs> yeah. But what would constitute a risk to the bank? And uh, the, like, you know, what jumps out at me is like, well, if they go take my money and they go lend it out to somebody and they don't have my money when I want it, or um, there's no... Yeah, basically, when I go to the bank to go get it, it's not there, right? Yeah. And that's uh, that's like a fractional reserve problem, right? Okay, there's another big word here, uh, college boy. <laughs> 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 you want to explain fractional reserve banking? Okay, well, maybe let's tie these really abstract, crazy loose ends together because we've <laughs> talked a little bit about what the history of money and like the characteristics of sound money. And this episode's going all over the place. And now we're talking about... Like today we have um, the Federal Reserve and we have a fiat world. So how do we get there? I guess maybe let's talk about that because um, gold, like we said, was money. And yeah. it is still today, I think, is largely constitutes. It, it satisfies all these characteristics that even the Fed is um, spouting off here. Yep. Right. So if gold's money, how do we get to fiat world? Like how do we get to paper currency? Right? Like what happened if for thousands of years we're using monetary metals and like slowly we're getting settled on gold as the de facto money, like this is money. 
mm-hmm. and then something must have happened between when everyone was using gold and it was working great to now where we have inflation and we have you know money that the federal reserve can just print out of nothing yeah. like is that really money like what what's going on there do you have any insight into the history of this <laughs> a little bit so i think we've we may have uh, mentioned this before so there's a website um <laughs> I always hate mentioning the name, but like they're 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 spot on with uh, with their analysis and and just the historical um, uh, analysis as well. But it's called WTF happened in 1971, and so 1971 was the year when uh, officially we went off of the gold standard. Um, it really was happening long before that. So you got I think 1913 when the federal bank of the United States was introduced as a thing. And like it really, there's some more abstract ideas here, but we're talking about um, sort of that top down, you talk about fiat, right? Really the uh, identification of fiat, the introduction of fiat money, where the government says so, right? Just trust us because we say so. So Fed was um, established, I think, again, 1913 to to help centralize money and banking and all yeah, this okay, stuff. Yeah, okay, so let's abstract a this a bit because what actually happened there was gold has great properties for money. Yep. But it lacks portability, right? Yes. You mentioned that earlier. So, um, and, and that's a problem because... Uh, you know, if you need to make a transaction mm-hmm. uh, and you're trying to, let's say U.S. is trying to trade with China and they got to send a boat full of gold across the world to China, right? Yep. There's a very high transaction cost. Yes. It's not very efficient to just send gold around the world. Um, so gold is portable because yep. you can carry it in your pocket, but it's not, it doesn't scale like that doesn't, that portability is very lacking. It gets to a certain point where like, you know, okay, it's just, I don't want to really carry this briefcase of gold halfway around the world because, you know, I could get shot and mugged and stolen or whatever. Right. So maybe I have to hire somebody as security to take this or like, right. So then, well, do I really want to make that transaction? And, and that's really limiting on an economy, right? Because if you're trying to have free trade and, and, and you said like, trade is how things uh, happen in this world and they like we we end up prospering and flourishing and growing um it this is a massive hindrance on that right like if you can't get gold around the world quickly right and it's expensive to do so then the tendency is to centralize it right to put it in a bank and um, use that bank as a custodian to say look i have you know let's say a million dollars of gold and I put it in the bank and the bank gives me a piece of paper that says you have a million dollars in gold. And whenever you want that gold, you can come here and get it. Yep. Right. And we promise you it's just going to be in this little safe back here. Um, we'll take care of it. Um, so I go do my business for 10 years and I have this little piece of paper and then I want my gold back. And is it still there? Yep. Right. And this all of a sudden means that my money, the gold, is in that guy's institution. It's in a bank. Yep. It, it, the money is no longer in my house. It's not under my mattress. It's in the bank. So the bank ends up having all the money because everybody does this, right? 
it's the most efficient way to run an economy. It's it, and and you can't blame anybody for what happened throughout history, but like that's kind of what happened, right? Is people are saying, okay, well, I don't really want to have all this liability and have all this gold sitting under my mattress. I'm gonna put it in the bank. Yeah. And uh, but now everyone's walking around with pieces of paper which are really not money; they're debt, right? It's yes. an IOU. It's saying. Uh, I promise that if you show up with this piece of paper, I'll give you, uh, you know, your gold back. So the money's over there. Now we're sitting on a bunch of pieces of paper that are really worth less, uh, worthless, worthless. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what, what happens when you extrapolate that out 50, hundred years, right. Is what you're describing in history, the historical events that have kind of laid the framework for the fiat economy we have now because the temptation is once the bank has the gold oh i want to do something with it why don't i lend it out mm-hmm. over here because the chances of everybody coming back and redeeming their gold all at the same time are pretty slim so i'm going to take some risk and uh, make a spread on lending out the money over here and so then you have a fractional reserve bank right because there's only a fraction of the gold in reserve um, for the people who are depositors. Yeah. So is that good? <laughs> uh, if you're a bank, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, so everybody started a bank. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then even to even, uh, extrapolate this out a bit further, like, um, that's assuming there's lots of banks, right? But now right. there's, a, there's always seems to be the centralizing force where, it makes sense to have the gold in the most central location to eliminate um, the problem with portability. Yeah, and that that's one of the uh, the greatest cons, or I don't know, greatest moves that the that the U.S. did, right? So, yeah, as you mentioned, there were banks, and they started issuing these these uh, deposit records, which you could then trade to other people. And if you had this thing, you know, ten pounds of gold or a pound of gold or whatever. Um, you could go back to that bank and get that gold out. Because, yeah, Larry gave me this thing, and uh, here we go, right? So you had to trust that the bank would have your gold and wouldn't just run off with it. So that was part of the impetus for establishing the Fed, because banks were around long before the Fed, right? Yeah. Uh, and, like, you'll see, like, these old notes from, like, the 17, 1800s from all these different banks, right? Or from trading companies, like Hudson's Bay Trading Company. Anyways, you got the Fed... Now you move to post-World War II, where the U.S. said, okay, listen, guys, everything's kind of a mess, but you know what? Like, we're big and strong. Um, Just give us all your gold, right? So that way if, you know, Germany or somebody invades again, they can't steal your gold. And even, like, during the war, gold was being shipped around and a lot of it to the states because uh, they were from a, on a country level right? on this a country level like individual yeah tons of tons and tons of gold um and the u.s said look we're gonna sort of take this idea of the banks and just make it worldwide so now we're gonna issue you dollars in exchange for your gold Right. And like, just trust us. We, we, we got it. Right. And this is, so you got like well, Fort they, Knox. They right? did have it. Right. They got a big military force. <laughs> yeah. A massive economy. Right. Yep. A lot of people. Um, so over time, people started, countries were like, okay, we need some of our gold back. And that wasn't working for the U.S. because maybe they didn't have it all. 
um, till 1971, where Nixon said, we're moving off the gold standard. And that's, you know, what happened in 1971. Essentially, the U.S. said, okay, we're not really going to guarantee all this gold anymore with U.S. dollars. Um, and uh, just... Yeah, they closed the gold window, right? Like, yeah. you used to be able to, like when the, the whole system of custodying... Uh, custodying. Custodying. Um, but I meant to say banks are custodians. So yes. when the whole system of that came about um, for these reasons, but um, now I totally forget what I was going to say. <laughs> well, you said they closed the gold window, <laughs> Yeah, right? they closed the gold window. So now, like, you used to be able to redeem uh, your gold, like your, your paper note for gold, right? And now you you can't. So now you can't get the gold. And like we talked about, like, the money is the gold. Like the gold is the money. Yeah. And that's over there in that guy's building. And you don't have it anymore. Yeah. And now you got this paper. And then they closed the gold window. And they closed that. Like countries couldn't take their gold out of the States. But, you know, people couldn't get gold either. Yeah. So really, that doesn't change the underlying properties of money. Because still, in that like in that day when he made that decision... And forever, however many years leading up to that decision, like money was still gold um, because of its properties. Like people still valued it and wanted mm -hmm. it for the reasons that uh, we've kind of identified. But when he made that decision, he's using his power as, you know, basically having a monopoly on violence, being uh, president of the states, having a military, having force, yep. having a policing force to say like, no, you can't have the money. And that is essentially taking over the power of um, monetary policy and like producing money. And that, that's super interesting. Um, I find it interesting. Anyways, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> now you have a central organization that basically um, institutes monetary policy uh, to its advantage. And that's played out over the last 50 years, right? Like what has it been? It's been 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. 52. <clears throat> yeah. 52 years. Wow. And, and so we've seen that happen on a global scale. We've seen it happen to our own pocketbooks. Um, like the value of our dollars just going, going down, 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 down because, um, like you kind of touched on, right. The sinful tendency is to just, um, print money and do it because it's profitable to you. And, um, to those close to you, maybe it's profitable to you if you're an American, um, but it's detrimental to other societies around the world who need, you know, feel the effects of inflation a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, when other people are basing their economy on the U S dollar or on U S imports or whatever, we've seen a lot of currencies just been wiped out Yeah, and where countries emerging markets, third world countries <laughs> have had to abandon their own currency just in the last number of years because of the strength of the U.S. dollar. Uh, everything costs more for them to buy in U.S. dollars, and they can't afford it, and yeah. eventually their well, systems collapse. Well, because you can think about it. Uh, we touch on scarcity. Like, you think about a civilization that, or like a kingdom or something like that that used gold, right? They might be small, yep. but if they save and live prudent lives and you know tax people according, and, 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 and their society functions and they accumulate gold, right? that gold's going to be there for generations and it's only going to accumulate until somebody actually spends it all. So you can actually grow the wealth of even a small country or society 
um, in that manner. But if you did the exact same thing in fiat currency where you don't actually control the supply of it and it's not scarce like gold is right now you end up with, um, you know, maybe you're taxing the citizens, you're getting all this money and you're hoarding it, but that guy over there, he can just print it and debase it. So now there's more units of it and all the stuff I'm holding for generations is worth nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you're impoverishing all kinds of different um, nations around the world. Yeah. And, and you really mentioned sad. you could have just a small group or a small, um, uh, but mighty force. I'm thinking of like Venice yeah. and Naples and some of these city states um, that eventually produce their own coins. And you knew that if you had a, a, a ducat yeah. or, you know, a coin from one of these city states that it was a, the gold content was there and it was trustworthy. So it was sort of the introduction of a banking system. But yeah, you mentioned the debasement of the currency. If a king wanted to go to war, for example, he had to raise money. He couldn't print money because yeah. they didn't have that ability. He couldn't, unless he was like sitting on top of a gold mine, he couldn't just go mine more money. So he had to either accumulate gold for a long time so he could pay for this army um, or had to yeah, get loans or give up something valuable. Yeah, to sell an asset Land or, or things like that to these bankers to um, to do that. So now, I mean, yeah, if the U.S. needs to fund their military, they just kind of print that money, right? Yeah, they don't even have to tell anybody. Or they're, they're not accountable, right? No. Um, and uh, <laughs> I get hyped up about this because <laughs> the government's not accountable for um, their spending, right? Because... In reality, that trickles down to all of our lives, and we're really not living in a way that's accountable to reality, right? Yes. And you can see that in so many different things because um, so many different aspects of society where, um, you know, we, we, we just have this cult. Like, I've grown up, and I've never lived under a gold standard. I don't know what it's like to have to save up money and accumulate wealth in gold before I can make a purchase. Like... Um, you know, I, I just have this sense of, well, the government just produces money and that's where it comes from. Right. Yep. But that trickles through all of all different institutions and aspects of society, like education, healthcare, food quality, right? Like these all kinds social of social security. Yeah. Welfare, um, systems and, and people's viewpoint on all of these things. Right. Because if you can just produce money from nothing and that's what society is based off of, then, well, hey, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? And there's no <laughs> sense of reality and there's no sense of um, basing things off of, um, you know, uh, if you if you do this, you can't do that, right? There's trade-offs. Yeah, right? yeah, and I've seen, I have seen videos, um, like, you know, this is typically younger folks, but like, why do I have to work? And this is like a, a serious, <laughs> like you and me, we think it's hilarious, but this is this is an attitude that exists. Why do I, why should I have to work like 30 hours a week? Like, well, that's like, you know, that's a Tuesday for me, but, um, <laughs> you know, why should I have to do all this hard work just to live, just to survive? Like the government should just give us all money and help and like complete lack of basic understanding of economics and, and everything else. But, um, uh, this is like universal basic income. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we're it, going and, all over the place. Yeah, we're, we're going all over here, but it has to do with sound money, right? Once you don't have a sound, um, a sound money, 
then the attitude seeps in, right? Yeah. Think, and like, like I said, maybe. the king can't do something unless he has saved up money or he wants to give up something really valuable. Yeah. And I can't go buy a Lamborghini <laughs> unless I save up my money and I'll never save up enough to buy one. Um, or I give something really valuable like a kidney or something, right? <laughs> so it influences your choices and your spending. But if the money is just there and the government can just, the government owes it to us, then like, why do I have to work, right? That influences, yeah. uh, why should I produce anything of value? Why yeah. should I take care of work hard to, to do something for somebody else if I don't even have to work hard to do something to take care of myself? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you don't want to live in a society like that. So that that circles back. I think that's an illusion or a delusion, an illusion that we live under. Right. That yeah. um, that it it is our present reality, but it is not actually reality. Like, yeah, I think still there is, as we have identified, there is properties of sound money. There's property that make for good money and money is such an important part of our um, life that, um, you know, if we don't have sound money, it affects so many things. Mm -hmm. And, um, since we don't, and we haven't for most of a lot of people's lifetimes, right? Yep. Um, something's going to happen to change, like, cause something has to, yeah, because eventually, um, people will decide I don't believe that this actually retains value i'm going to store my value in this or something else right and that i think you hear all the time on the news like oh lack of confidence in the banking system or yeah. lack of confidence in the government and that's essentially what it is it's a vote to say look like you know what um i've been doing some research in history and like this happens every so many years and you know throughout it all like there's been properties of sound money that people have just gravitated towards. And it seems to be gold for the last like thousands of years. And if you examine the actions of like countries and uh, central banks, like they're actually acqu accumulating gold, right? Um, some, some, yeah. Smart, smart ones, right? <laughs> um, not Canada, I guess. I don't know. We're are we smart? We're accumulating hockey sticks and donuts. <laughs> yeah. Those are fungible. Well, you can make donuts into Timbits. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, I, like, I think you bring, a, bring up a good point. Like, why are we talking about money? You mentioned that at the beginning, right? Like, oh, you're focused on money. But yeah. just the, like, we're not talking about getting rich. We're just talking about the, the, um, the aspects of, like, what makes money. Because we need to understand that. Yeah. In order to Store just understand the world value. around us yeah. and the world that we live in, like you said, we're we're sort of living a lie. Yeah, the way exactly. that our, our money is, a lie. Uh, yeah, the way that our money system is built, and there's going to be consequences for it. There are consequences just in our attitudes, our our spending, our lifestyles. Yeah, um, but at our some culture. Yeah. Right? yeah, 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 especially culturally. Mm -hmm. But at some point, there's going to be a reckoning. And, uh, you know, this sounds like, <laughs> I know it sounds like uh, get the tinfoil hat on and conspiracy theory, but you look at any society where their money either was debased or corrupted. And I gave a few examples earlier, like that society collapses or if it doesn't collapse, it changes, um, very much, uh, like just fundamentally changes. Right. And the, you know, I won't say that the Roman empire, 
um, uh, came down because of uh, just because of their their money supply. You could point to decadence as one of the main reasons. Which is also kind of a result of. Well, that manifested in the money supply. It manifest like in their attitudes, in their culture, and then in order to have more money to to fund these things, um, Do we not have they debase the currency. <laughs> well, so it's you know I'll let listeners draw their own conclusions, but yeah, yeah. Um, decadence led to this and led to an unsound money, and yeah, there are other factors, but this was like a mighty, mighty empire. The biggest the Western world has ever known. Yeah, and if you live in that empire, pretty in quickly. The Roman Empire, you're probably thinking this could never come down. Yeah, right. This could never yeah. come to an end, and uh, you you can't formulate a, a vision as to how that might happen or why. Yeah, and you but, don't have the big picture either, right? Yeah. You're not looking at the whole. You're looking at the little spot that you live in yeah. and what's happening there, and all you know is like, I don't want these coins anymore. I'm going to just barter or something. Yeah, and you mentioned the word reckoning. I'm like, I had to look that up. The action or process of calculating or estimating something. Yeah, you're not the only one who can use big words, Brent. Uh, yeah, I know. So, well, because it's it, it's a judgment, right? It, and, yeah. And the definition of the word calculating or estimating something, right? Like when you're, yeah, we're way over time, but that's okay. Two more minutes. When you're actually calculating something, that's like a monetary discussion right like you're, yep. you're talking about weighing uh monetary metal you're talking about making a calculation as and uh and yeah when you do the math does it check out right and i think uh i think it's something that people should be aware of um the current system that we live under and how that works and um historically speaking what has been the norm Right. And make their own conclusions and decisions uh, as to how you manage your wealth in the present. Because we like we, we talked about before in, in a past episodes, like you, you, we do live in the system, like we have to yep. interact with it and we have to deal with it. We have to pay taxes. We have to make investments. We have to make sound judgments with our money. And that is a biblical thing. Um, and it is very uh, prudent then to educate yourself on this stuff and to learn um, what where we came from with money and what makes for good money and why do you want to hold certain things? And we can go into this more next time, but maybe you want to wrap it up. Yeah, I think that's a good spot to wrap it up. All right, folks. Thank you for listening to our rambling uh, and we'll see you in the next episode. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, Give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.